This is Faith Ignited, the podcast where we put God back into history. Episode 2, Tragedy and Turning Points. Death was so very cruel, Abraham Lincoln thought, as he watched the bitter weeping of his wife Mary over the corpse of their child. It had absolutely no sympathy. It took the young as well as the old, often giving little to no warning before claiming its victims. Lincoln shut the door to the green room where Willie had taken his last breath, hoping it might drown out the sounds of grief. Their youngest son, Tad, lay sick in another room with the same illness that had claimed his older brother, and Lincoln didn't want him to hear his parents' grief. Lincoln openly wept alongside his wife, so choked with tragedy he could hardly breathe. His family seemed to be falling apart, just as the nation seemed to be falling apart, torn by war and conflict. Even now, men were bleeding and dying on American battlefields, leaving behind loved ones to mourn their loss. It seemed too much for a man to bear. The burden of his office was heavy enough without the loss of his beloved Willie, his angelic, brilliant son. My poor boy, Lincoln cried aloud. He was too good for this earth. God has called him home. But the thought brought very little consolation. He and Mary had tirelessly sat at the boy's bedside, watching helplessly as typhoid fever had sapped the life from his 11-year-old body. He'd been sick only two weeks before giving way to the illness. With tragedy raging all about him, Lincoln feared he might just be consumed by it. When everything looked so bleak, what hope was there for the future? Life is full of turning points, and they tend to be accompanied by painful, sometimes heart-rending experiences. But it's those experiences that are often the catalyst of change. They force us to wake up and see things differently. And the Civil War was definitely a turning point in the United States of America. It was unique because it was an inward conflict. And as Abraham Lincoln said, quoting Jesus Christ from the New Testament, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And never had the nation been so divided. The Civil War would eventually result in the abolition of slavery. But what you may not know is that when Abraham Lincoln was elected president of the United States, he promised in his inaugural address that he would not interfere with slavery in the states where it was already established, despite the fact that he himself found the practice completely abhorrent. But something clearly changed between then and when he issued the statement that all persons held as slaves within the rebellious states are and henceforth shall be made free. Lincoln helped the nation to see the necessity of this change when he sent out the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, the same year that the Union began to win the war. No one really expected the war to be very long or to have that many casualties, but it turned out to be a very long, bloody war. It lasted almost four years, and it shook the nation to its core brought it to its knees, so to speak. But it led to some of the most amazing changes that our nation has ever seen. And something less known is that Abraham Lincoln went through some serious turning points of his own a year before this. The year 1862 really tested and prepared him 
to bring about these changes in the nation. So now I take you to what Lincoln called the hardest trial of his life. It was the day that his son Willie died. Willie's full name was Willie Wallace Lincoln, and he was the third son of Mary and Abraham Lincoln. Now the tragic thing is that three out of four of Abraham and Mary Lincoln's children will precede them in death. Their oldest son, Robert, is the only one who will outlive them. So clearly, the Lincolns are no strangers to tragedy. But there was something particularly harrowing about Willie's death, and to understand that, you need to know the kind of boy that he was. Mary Lincoln's cousin, Elizabeth Todd Grimsley, described Willie as a noble, beautiful boy of nine years, of great mental activity, unusual intelligence, wonderful memory, methodical, frank, and loving, a counterpart of his father, save that he was handsome. Reverend Dr. Phineas Gurley, who gave the eulogy at Willie's funeral, said, His mind was active, inquisitive, and conscientious. His disposition was amiable and affectionate, his impulses were kind and generous, and his words and manners were gentle and attractive. It is easy to see how a child thus endowed would in the course of eleven years entwine himself around the hearts of those who knew him best. Nor can we wonder that the grief of his affectionate mother today is like that of Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they were not. Mary Lincoln actually didn't even attend Willie's funeral because she was so sick with grief that she just wasn't up to it. But anybody that knew Willie Lincoln instantly loved him. He was incredibly mature for his age, and he loved learning. Mary also said that he was a peculiarly religious child. He took after his father both in his height and in his personality, and the two of them were the best of friends. So when he died, it was a heavy blow that left the whole family reeling. But God didn't forget them in their grief. He reached out to them in a couple of different ways, and the first was quite interesting. Both Mary and Abraham Lincoln claimed to fill Willie's presence after his death. Mary told her half-sister, Emily Todd Helm, He comes to me every night and stands at the foot of my bed with the same sweet and adorable smile he always had. He does not always come alone. Little Eddie is sometimes with him. And twice he's come with our brother Alec. He tells me that he loves his uncle Alec and is with him most of the time. You cannot dream of the comfort this gives me. When I thought of my little son in immensity, alone and without his mother to direct him, no one to hold his little hand in loving guidance, it nearly broke my heart. The other way that God reached out was by sending a woman of great faith who understood the kind of pain that the Lincolns were experiencing. Her name was Rebecca Pomeroy. Now, just a little on her background so you can have context here. Rebecca was raised in Chelsea, Massachusetts. She was the daughter of a sea captain, and he died when she was only 10, which brought on some really lean financial times for Rebecca's family. When Rebecca was 19, she married Daniel F. Pomeroy, and they had three children together, George, William, and Clara. But when the 1850s came, they brought with them some immense heartache for Rebecca. Her oldest son, George, went out to sea the same year that her son, William, passed away. Her daughter, Clara, died a year later, and her husband followed just three years after that. Now, at this point, I think I would have been ready to throw in the towel and say, well, clearly God has forgotten me, and I should just give up on finding happiness in life. But the opposite happens for Rebecca. 
she learns of God's love through her afflictions, and after a year and a half of grieving, she feels inspired to become a nurse. So she reaches out to Dorothy Dix, who is the superintendent over female nurses for the Union, and quickly gets a reply requesting that she come to Washington. So she works in a couple of different hospitals there tending to wounded soldiers. She quickly becomes distinguished for both her happy personality and her strong work ethic. After Willie's death, President Lincoln decides to take Dorothy Dix, upon a previous offer that she'd extended, to send a nurse to help tend the Lincoln's needs. And with Tad still sick, and Mary Lincoln confined to her bed, he decides to accept the offer. When Dix extended the position to Rebecca, she initially wasn't very excited about it, because she was so invested in her soldiers and their well-being that she didn't want to leave them. But Dix replied, Dear child, you don't know what the Lord has in store for you. Others can look after your boys, but I have chosen you, out of 250 nurses, to make yourself useful to the head of the nation. What a privilege is yours. And so Rebecca packed her bags and headed for the White House. Rebecca Pomeroy tightened her hold on her carpet bag as she was led through the great hallways of the White House to the President's chamber. They'd stopped first at the green room, where young Willie still lay in expectation of his burial. The corridor was quiet, but there was a heaviness to the silence. It was an emotion she had become familiar with in the army hospitals. It was the feeling of loss. As they entered, she saw Mrs. Lincoln lying in bed, looking pale and ill. Rebecca's heart instantly went out to the woman, she herself knowing what it meant to grieve. The president sat at the bedside of his wife, and his head turned to face the door as they entered. His eyes were rimmed with dark, tired bags, displaying his physical and emotional exhaustion. Despite this, President Lincoln greeted Rebecca with a warm handshake, saying kindly, I am heartily glad to see you, and feel that you can comfort us and the poor sick boy. As they made their way to the room where young Tad lay ill, they met the two physicians who had been caring for the boy sitting outside the door. They proceeded to inform Rebecca concerning Tad's care and the medicine he'd need every half hour through the night. When she was finally able to enter and get the first look at her patient, she was anxious to begin alleviating his pain in any way she could. Even when she received an invitation from the president to take a break for dinner, she chose instead to stay at the boy's bedside as he tossed and turned with typhoid, all the while grieving for his brother Willie, murmuring how he would never speak to him anymore. The president came in about 10 o'clock and sat down on the opposite side of the bed. Are you miss or missus, he asked. What of your family? Rebecca appreciated the thoughtful question, telling him, I had a husband, but he and two of my children are in the other world, and I have a son now on the battlefield. His expression was full of sympathy at hearing of her loss. What prompted you to come so far to look after these poor boys? Rebecca unabashedly told him of the years she'd spent in the school of affliction, and that after her loved ones had been laid away and the battle cry had been sounded, nothing remained for her to do but to join the cause as a nurse. The president seemed to ponder for a long moment, doing some internal reflection before he asked, Did you always feel that you could say, Thy will be done? And here his heart seemed agonized for a reply. No, Rebecca answered. Not at the first blow, nor at the second. It was months after my affliction that God met me. Here he showed great interest, and Rebecca continued telling him of her history 
and above all, of God's love and care for her through it all. How do you achieve this peace? The president asked her. Simply by trusting in God and believing that he does all things well, she explained. It did not happen all at once, but over time. Your experience will help me to bear my afflictions, the president concluded. But even as he said the words, he covered his face with his hands, and while the tears streamed through his fingers, he spoke to her of his dear Willie's sickness and death. He then got to his feet, pacing the room as he admitted, This is the hardest trial of my life. Oh, why is that? Trying to comfort him, Rebecca said, Thousands of prayers are going up for you daily. He stopped, turning to look at her. I am glad of that. I want them to pray for me. I need their prayers. I will try to go to God with my sorrows. He looked at her, his eyes sad. I wish I had that childlike faith you speak of, and I trust he will give it to me. I had a good Christian mother, and her prayers have followed me thus far through life. Rebecca watched him, full of compassion. It had taken her time to come to rely on God and sort through her own suffering. Looking at the crestfallen man in front of her, she wondered if she had been sent not just to care for little Tad and to comfort Mrs. Lincoln, but also to help the president to better understand God. The president repeated this visit the next several nights, wanting to come back and hear more about Rebecca's experience. Mary Lincoln was amazed at Rebecca's optimism, considering what she'd been through. She said that she would live on bread and water if it meant she could be as happy as Rebecca. And Rebecca and the Lincoln family would always maintain a really close relationship. Rebecca said, My soul is in the Lincoln family. And why I am so distressed for them all, God only knows. Sometimes I think God has put this very heavy burden upon me for some wise purpose, best known to himself. My heart cries out to God in behalf of Mrs. Lincoln and our dear good president. I feel that I can pray for him hourly. In Rebecca's diary, she pasted a newspaper clipping from one of the president's most recent speeches, no doubt feeling some satisfaction. It said, I have often wished that I was a more devout man than I am. Nevertheless, amid the great difficulties of my administration, when I could not see any other resort, I would place my whole reliance to God, knowing that all would go well, and that he would decide for the right. It sounds a lot like Rebecca, doesn't it? When Tad recovered in early March, Rebecca ended up going back to the hospital, and the president accompanied her on her travel there. He told her, When you get to be an old lady, Mrs. Pomeroy, tell your grandchildren how indebted the nation was to you for holding up my hands in a time of trouble. Rebecca Pomeroy really is an obscure character in history. There was nothing extraordinary about her upbringing or spectacular about her accomplishments. She served others quietly and faithfully, and her memory reflects that. But she held up the hands that changed the nation. So we really should feel grateful to Rebecca that she was the kind of person whose countenance, optimism, and faith begged questions of the people around her. They wanted to know why she was the way she was. She came at just the right time in the Lincoln's lives. Sometimes God sends miracles. Sometimes he sends inspiration. And other times... He sends Rebecca Pomeroy's, people to uplift us, strengthen us, and to ignite our faith. Music